Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined this week by the Blue Seat blog's father himself. Dave is back, really excited about that, although he's battling a a really tough illness, which I'll let him talk about in a second here. Uh, On this week's show, we are dissecting the Rangers' first true rough patch of the season. We're going to talk about what might be wrong with the starting goaltender, what's happened to the consistency that defined this team through its first 20 or so games, how they can get out of this rut and what some potential solutions might look like both internally and maybe from even outside the team. We'll answer your questions, a lot of which have to do with that. So um, Dave, really happy to have you back on the show. It's it's been a while um, and I know you are not feeling your best. So uh, thanks for battling through. Uh, Well, I was hoping somebody would be able to fill in. Um, I have RSV. Uh, My five-month-old gave it to me. She's happy. She's great. She's back at daycare. She was out all of last week with RSV, and then obviously she gave it to me. I am fighting it, but I am loaded up on meds. I'm loaded up on dinner, so I'll be functional for about 45 minutes before I start to crash again. Understood. Yeah, well, and listen, (laughs) by the way, RSV, super serious and kind of dangerous virus that that can hit uh, younger kids really hard, so... Happy to hear that yours kind of made it through uh, well. Um, but, you know, something out there that, you know, folks, if you have young kids, something to look out for. There, There is a vaccine. Uh, there's a couple of different vaccines for it now. So they've been really tough to get. But if you can get your hands on them, um, you know, I would recommend uh, going that route. You know, Becky and I have actually had trouble. We'd love to get our youngest vaccinated, but um, it has been a, a difficult time for us trying to find it. Um, yeah, I, I would have loved to get it for my kids or even myself since I have asthma, but it's impossible to get it. Right. Yeah, no, it's been it's been crazy. Um, all right. So like I said at the top, look, we got a lot to talk about with the Rangers here. It's been a really uh, interesting week, I would say, uh, for the team. Uh, and I, I think we'll really just focus on the the last two games be, and, and the fallout of those two games because they really are kind of the perfect encapsulation of, of what's going on right now. Right. So the Rangers um, played just an absolutely stellar front to back game against the LA Kings on Sunday. Um, You know, they defended really well. They took advantage of their opportunities. They scored on the power play. They got great goaltending from Jonathan quick, which was an awesome story too. kind of his um, you know, uh, his uh, first game against his former team. And it definitely meant a, a lot to him. Um, Can I just pause on that one for a second? Because uh, there were a lot of people that were outraged that Quick was starting that game and not the first game of the back-to-back. And I just thought that was odd to me because, of course, they're going to start Quick against his old team. And they're going to start him again when they against L.A. in L.A. They're going to do it again. So, like, that's just what we do. That's what hockey is. They start that. They're going to start him against his old team that he played his entire career with. So. Let's not manufacture outrage for no fucking reason at all. Yeah. Well, also, you know, you have to look at who the coach is, right? Peter Laviolette is very tuned in to this sort of stuff. I mean, and this is something that we've talked about, and it's actually one of the positives, right? Even even as they go through a tough stretch here, he just has a much better pulse of the locker room and of the of the people in the locker room than his predecessors, right? And I'm speaking mainly of the last three coaches, A.V., 
Quinn and Gallant oh, all kind of struggled in that area. You know, whereas, you know, even today, and it's, it's something that, you know, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but after Igor clearly struggled in his last, has struggled in his last couple of starts, but, but really was not good uh, in the Toronto game, in my opinion at all. It was his single worst um, game score of the season, right? Which is basically just a negative goal saved above expected. Um, he was not good. And it's okay to say that, by the way. Um, you know, he's getting asked rightfully about, you know, how does the goalie feel? You know, we've seen him kind of have these crises of confidence before. Um, and the first thing Laviolette said in his post-practice remarks was, I talked to him this morning. And if you even just think about that, right? And he didn't share the contents of the conversation, but just the fact that he clearly knows his goalie's in need of a boost. He probably went to him. Look, I'm totally speculating here, but he probably went to him and said, you're still our guy. We're going to put you right back in there on Friday against Anaheim. We're going to play a lot better in front of you, which is a big part of this as well. And you're going to get back on track because you're, you're the guy, man. You, we don't go anywhere unless you are right. So, um, I, and I, to your point, Dave, about quick, same thing, you know, just, of course, he's going to let him play against LA. You know, the coach knows how much that means to him. And, you know, regarding Igor, I know that it's tough for people to accept that he's going to go through slumps and it is what it is with Igor. I'm not concerned about him. He's been bad. Like you said, it's okay to objectively say he's been bad. There were some really soft goals that he let in, but that Toronto game, I was actually able to watch the second and the third period, which was nice to see Um, that overall team defense in front of him was just atrocious. And it's funny because Valley posted the high danger scoring chances and the Rangers had a distinct advantage, Mm -hmm. but the high danger scoring chances that Toronto had, I'm thinking of, I think it was the Marner tap in goal off the nice Mm -hmm. passing play where like all three guys went to Austin Matthews in the high slot. And they're like, Oh, I forgot about Mitch Marner. Like you can't, that's not what they did in the first month and a half of the season. That's what they did under Gallant. Mm-hmm. They did that all the time under Gallant, and they're falling back into old habits. And there's a lot of reasons why. There's no one reason. There's no. There's not even two reasons. There's a bunch, but they're in a rut. It happens. Like I'm not. I'm still not concerned. I still think this is a team that has a shot at winning the cup. I am still confident in my bet of them winning the cup in the off season. I think they're the best team in the NHL still, even with this slump. Well, I was going to say, so, you know, I, I've been sort of playfully using the, uh, the term concernometer and maybe we'll get somebody to do like a, you know, a really bad graphic design as my passion kind of meter here to, 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 you know, maybe we can make this a running joke on the pod this year or, or running, uh, you know, bit, let's say, um, I was going to say though, out of 10, Dave, like, where are you on term in terms of concern, right? One being not concerned at all. 10 being like the season is an abject disaster. What, what, what number of grade would you give it? I'd give it a three for one reason only, and it's we have no clarity on the severity of the Kako and Hedl injuries. None. Yeah. That's the only thing that concerns me because the Rangers survive without Hedl. They survive without one of them. They're not going to survive without two of their best two-way defensive forwards that also drive play. Like if we all the numbers suggest that both of them, the team is every line they play on is better with them. They spend more time in the offensive zone. They're better defensively. 
And when you start putting in guys like Blake Wheeler, who's 107 years old on the top line, when you start putting in Johnny Brodzinski, who I love, but is not an NHL player on the third line, when Nick Benino is your third line center, that's a problem. That's a depth problem. And yep. until we have clarity on those injuries and the cap space that they're not accruing because they're dipping into long-term injured reserve, that's the only concern I have. But assuming they have either a plan to get them both back or a plan to replace them either with call-ups or with trades, I'm not overly concerned. And I'm assuming they have a plan. Yeah. So I'm I'm slightly higher on the concernometer. I'd say I'm more of like a four, four and a half. And that might also be a little bit of past scars and disappointment factoring in, right? And I was having this conversation with a fellow obsessed Ranger fan last night where you know, this season started with such promise, not just results wise, but again, the way they were playing, right. They were, they really played such good suffocating defense, you know, yeah, the offense wasn't great, but it was usually enough. You knew the power play was always there in the back pocket. You give them a couple of opportunities. Uh, they're probably going to cash in. Panarin was, was dominant and is still scoring at, a, at an incredible clip. And, and I think playing great hockey. Um, but there's just been so many disappointing years, right. Where we really have wanted to believe uh, rightly or wrongly that, that the team is a contender and they get sort of found out, right? Like whether it's, oh, they're, they're, they're too goaltending reliant or they're too reliant on hot shooting or, you know, uh, they have a coach who kind of hamstrings them because he doesn't make adjustments and, and, you know, he's going to get, uh, overmatched by John Cooper in the conference finals, right? There's been lots of different reasons. So again, I think part of me is just a little bit concerned that that is the, scenario here that, okay, they are going to get found out a little bit, right? The new coach bump is going to uh, dissipate and the depth is going to be exposed, which I think is your, you know, your main point there, Dave, and is the one that I totally agree with. And I think it's the main reason for the struggles lately, um, but that it's just not going to happen. So, you know, that's me at my sort of emotional lows with this team, but, but then you turn around, you look at the record, you know, you look at even the way that, yes, they actually did win. And, and this is the kind, kind of one of those things that I do take some comfort in knowing what it means when it plays out over the course of a long season. They're starting to win the expected goals battle and the scoring chances battle a little bit more. You know, they did against Toronto. They did against L.A., right? So that's two games in a row. Um, and they, they were doing that a majority of the time early in the year. So if they can just get back to that, right? And even and Laviolette knows this, by the way. He's a very analytically inclined coach. And it's another thing that caught my ear when I listened to his press conference from after practice on, on Wednesday, um, he said, look, you know, it's a, it's hockey is very much like a 50, 50 game. So you're, you're, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, he's like, if you can control 55% of the chances, you've got a better, you got a good chance of winning that hockey game, but you're not, you're not going to control hundred percent of the chances. So he knows, right. He knows that they've just got to be a little bit better and they've got to avoid, the major breakdown, right? Which, which you mentioned with the Marner going back door, nobody going with him. Or to me that, you know, the Cali Yarncroke rebound goal, which was like, nobody moved their feet to try and pick up a loose puck. Like Panarin swiped at it. Braden Schneider swiped at it. It was just a bunch of guys standing around reaching as opposed to playing defense with their feet. Right. Right. So going to pucks, using their bodies and using their legs to, to play defense. So you correct those fundamental things. And I think the team is going to be fine. 
So I want to pose a question to you. If this slump that we're seeing right now happened in October and the run we got in October was happening now, would you be concerned? No, no. I, I'd say this team is winning the cup and they're going to do it in like, you know, they're going to like sweep three of the four series. Yeah. I would, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just, we just got our coaching adjustment, like the adjustment to the new systems a little bit delayed. Right. That's yeah, the way I'm I, looking at it. Yeah. And, and I, you know, look, we were going back and forth, you and I, with a couple of guys on Twitter earlier, and it was a really great, you know, conversation. There was a lot of, you know, good arguments being posed and, everybody throwing in their two cents in a respectful manner. It was like maybe the most civil conversation in Twitter history. Um, and that was actually a really fun conversation. Uh, that was Phil Kotcher. That was uh Caller commentary and NYR Grady. Um, mm-hmm. All three are very smart people worth following. And, you know, that was a great conversation by the way. Yeah. Oh no, it was. And I, I think, you know, I basically summed up my feelings about that as look, I think that w- what we're seeing over the last couple of weeks is, you know, the team realized that generating offense was a little bit of an issue, right? They, they weren't getting enough scoring chances, right? If they, if they were winning or, or splitting the high danger chances, it was like four, four or five, five in a game. And I think Peter Laviolette's saying, Hey guys, like we've got enough talent. We should be getting more than five high danger scoring chances a game. And I think they are generating more offense, but it's coming at the expense of defense, right? So now, like you said, Dave, we're, we're hitting an adjustment period where they're learning how to balance playing offense, right? Taking chances uh, and 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 sticking to the structure, right? Creating out of that base structure that they got so good at or so early in the year because um, they were really dialed in defensively the first 15 or 18 games. Um, that's my main takeaway uh, in terms of the, available players. Now, in terms of the not available players, I totally agree with you. I think, and this is kind of part of the debate here, and I, I want, you know, I want to talk through it and get your thoughts as well, but I think this team misses Kako in a major way. And I know people are going to say, that's crazy. He only had three points. I think he does so much stuff away from the puck. And in terms of driving play and in terms of keeping the puck in the offensive zone that the other guys that are playing his minutes just don't do, um, and you, you couple that with the Heedle injury. I, I think, like you said, we're just there's too many minutes for the Brodzinski's and the Beninos. As much as I like Benino and the Pitlicks of the world, that that's what's affecting the Rangers right now, and and it's causing the other guys to try to overcompensate. So I may have been a little over the top with how much the Rangers miss Kako, and I'll own that one. But they definitely miss him, even if that top line wasn't necessarily producing a lot of high danger scoring chances, they were still winning the expected goals battle. And yes, ideally you want them to be producing high danger chances the way the Panera line does, but it's a different role. First off, Zibanejad has not been an offensive play producer in quite some time. He's still great no, defensively. Yeah, he's great defensively. And that's yeah. why, you know, people say he's not a one C and I can't agree with that because he still is a point-per-game player. Sure, 40 of those points might be on the power play, but he's a point-per-game player, and he locks down the other team's top center. So that's a big part of his responsibility. So uh, to me, and he's going to play 20 minutes a night. So if you do that, and like you said, if even if it's in a low-event fashion, if you're winning the expected goals and the scoring chance and the shots battle, and yeah. you're putting up 80, 85 points, you're a number one center to me. I, I'm sorry. And they're still going to command top defensive assignments because – if they don't get the top defensive assignments, then let's say Panarin does, that means 
you're going to leave Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider on with your third pair, your second pair. Right. No. I mean, there are very few NHL teams that can afford to do that. So, and that is the other piece we're missing here is now with Blake Wheeler, who, listen, I like Blake Wheeler for $800,000. He does exactly what you expect him to do, but he is not mm-hmm. a top line player anymore. And he cannot skate on the top line anymore, period. Like right. if you, if everybody thinks Kako slow, like Wheeler should be making Kako look like a Usain Bolt out there. <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm with you on Wheeler, and there's a question about Wheeler, so let's wait and we'll expand oh, upon that a, a I, little bit later. But I didn't, I, I didn't need to jump the gun on that one. Oh no, no, no! But it, but but no, I, I agree. Look, he that, he was not brought in here to be that line's right wing, you know. And we know from look, Kreider and Zabanajad have played together a majority of the time since Zabanajad got here in 2016, which is seven years ago. That's a long time, wow. right? So yeah, he came in the beginning of the 16, 17 season. So. You know, and look, we know that their line mate was Buchnevich, and he was the perfect line mate because he drove play, but he was also a, a proper, you know, finisher and playmaker. He is what I think the Rangers thought they were getting in Kako. I think that was their reasonable expectation that with the second overall pick, he would do the same things that that Buchnevich did by the by his third or fourth season, right? Because it took Buch a few years to get you know his feet truly under him. Um, I'm actually unfold- looking up when he finally started putting up the offense. Yeah, and while you do that, look, everybody yeah. loves to use that. And like, oh my God, the Rangers, made, the Rangers made a huge mistake with that trade. We know that. So, yes. Ushnevich, you know, he was a half a point per game player basically until his, what, one, uh, I'm going to count his 41 game first season in 16, 17. One, two, three, four, five, six. He didn't hit seven, he didn't cross 50 points until his sixth season. Yep. He crossed 40 points in his second season. Then he dipped to 38. Then he was under 50. He, he didn't score. He scored 20 goals twice before that breakout year. Right. No, listen, and it does take time. And, and that's also why I'm not getting giving up on Kako or offering him in trades. I think worst case scenario, he tops out as a 40-point player, and he's a really cheap, very good two-way player that you yeah. can just keep on your books and you can fill those that middle six type role or play the Jesper Faust uh, type of role, but for Mika and Kreider. So, you know, look, to me, it's, I'm not that worried about Kako in terms of what he brings to the table. I think he's valuable. I think Philip Heedle being a center who does have a little bit more scoring potential and talent, um, but also now is on his fourth or fifth concussion. That whole situation to me shapes this entire rest yes. of the season for the Rangers. And, and I'm I'm happy to see people are not saying move Heedle to the wing now that he's actually winning faceoffs. Right. Yeah. And 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 just the clearly the way he plays the game with his skating, his ability to transport the puck. You know who he 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 actually is very similar to it's a different style of player. And of course the game is totally different now, but he's very similar to Scott Gomez. Scott Gomez was the same way. You know, he he could carry yeah. the puck from end to end um, he was obviously much more of a distributor, but I'm just thinking of the ability to transport the puck from the middle of the ice and distribute, you know, and to, to initiate plays in zone time. That's what Heedle's really great at. And they're missing that badly right now. So, um, no, to me, Dave, I, you know, I, we talked about this a little bit last week, but I'd love to get your take on it. Here's my thought on this. If I'm Chris Drury, today is December. As we record this, it's December 13th. You'll You'll be listening on the 14th. I'm giving this another three to four weeks. If the doctors do not tell me definitively that 
Heedle is getting better and that he's coming back, you know, and, and they give me a t- they, they, they give me some kind of timetable. I'm heavily considering putting him on LTIR for the rest of the season and using that cap space to replace him because you can only go so long without a player of that importance, without a true, you know, second or third center, a middle, middle six center. Um, and there's just too much of an impact loss that cannot be replaced by any of any combination of Nick Benino, Johnny Brodzinski, Jimmy Vesey, right. You know, kind of filling in and he's a great player, but I think they love him on that fourth line and, and the shutdown role he's playing right now. You know, I, I just don't see an internal solution. I don't think Brennan Hoffman fits at all because he's a pure wing. Um, so they're going to have to make a move for a center at that point. And that's how I'm looking at this. I do not really want to wait until February, March. I, I'd want to know in January if I was Chris Drury so I could start gauging the market and maybe make an early move. Yep, and that'll be – I am in full agreement. you got to give it a little bit more time. It's still too early. Um, but that'll be that indicator – when we start hearing some trade rumors about the Rangers looking for a center mm-hmm. um, right now, assuming Heedle stays on long-term injury reserve and assuming Kako, who I don't know, he, we haven't heard anything about surgery. So it doesn't sound like he tore something right to our knowledge, but we have absolutely no idea what it is. They haven't if even said is, no, nobody has any idea what he did, what the injury actually is, which is wild. Yeah, and, and that's where the uncertainty comes from. Let's assume both are on long-term major reserve through the end of the regular season. That's $5.6 million in cap space. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Jesus. Oh, no worries. That's RSV. That's what RSV folks. sounds like. I was just going to say. Yeah. Oy, this, this shit sucks. Uh, <laughs> but let's say it's $5.6 million. Now you have a lot of room to work with because – you're not banking cap space. You can use that immediately. Mm-hmm. They have $5.6 million today to use. Right. So who's available? We don't know. It's They need that answer, and they need to address it now, because Nick Benino as the 3C is not good. Barkley Goodrow as a center in general is not good. Mm-hmm. He's not, He can fake it for a couple of games. He's not a center, and that's what completely tore the range, not tore the Rangers apart, but it's one of the reasons why last year's team fizzled out so poorly is they were like, okay, let's just go after Patrick Kane needing the shiny new toy instead of realizing they were fine in the top nine. They needed a fourth-line center and get Goodrow yep. off of center. I like the guy, a little overpaid, not a center. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. And, and you know... <sighs> I, the other thing too, the way they've been deploying the lines, you know, I know we're calling kind of, you know, VZ Goodrow pit, like the fourth line, but they play more than the Benino line because they're out there a lot against the other team's top players, which I'm okay with. Look, that's Peter Lobulette. Yeah. He plays matchups. He likes to do the shutdown line thing. He tries to free up Mika, Mika's line and, and the Trocek Panarin Lafreniere Laf, line to, to just play offense against the other team's, you know, worst players, um, which I think is really good coaching. And I'm happy for him to continue doing that. But to your point, Dave, that's not a long-term solution. You know, Gurdrow's not a natural center. Benino is, um, you know, so, so we'll see how that all, that all pans out. Um, one other thing to that, I want to add the type of player, the Rangers acquire, should they go that route? will tell us how serious this is with Hedl. If they go after, and I know Tyler absolutely loves Yanni Gord. If they go after Yanni Gord, who has another year left at a dollar value, the Rangers cannot afford. That's not good news for Philip Heedle. Oh, well, yeah, no. 
no. And look, I, I have not entertained and I really don't want to, cause I would just feel, feel terrible for the kid, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I, I've not entertained the fact that this could put him out for his career, but, but I, a few people did say right away, like, this is starting to have Michael Sauer vibes. And, you know, Michael Sauer took a marginal check, oh, God, yeah. you know, but it was just the wrong hit at the wrong time for him with his concussion history. And he was done and he never played again. And that was a shame because he was really good. He was a really good, uh, you know, potentially a really good defenseman that could have been here for a very long time. So, um, look, I, let's not go down that route. That's a little too bleak. And I think all of our. Um, yeah, that is true. All of our concernometers uh, would be way off the charts if that was the case. Yeah. I'll end that piece with how I prefer Alex Wenberg in that situation. Yeah, I mean, look, I think we'll, we'll to your point, um, and Gord would be a good fit too, because I think the Rangers could always use a little bit more, you know, snarl, but also guys who can play, you know, not just grit, but, um, you know, and they have a fair bit of it and they they stand up for each other. I mean, in the, in the Leafs game, like, I wasn't really warranted because it was a super clean hit, but lingering got laid out and Mika jumped right in and um, fought. I forget who, which guy it was from Toronto that, that laid the hit on lingering again, super clean hit. I have no problem with it, but you know, the, the Rangers are much more dialed into that side of the game. Now, you know, there's a lot more togetherness with the team. There's no delay in response. You know, they are, they're, they're a gritty team. That's the way they approach the game. That's directly because of the way Laviolette has kind of had them start to approach it. So um, so yeah, um, but you know, I, I, you could always use another kind of guy who's willing to, you know, take, take punishment to make plays and score, score greasy goals in the playoffs. So, um, we'll see how that all pans out. Um, all right. I want to get to, cause we have a lot of them. Um, and we want to make sure Dave gets to bed at a good hour here. Uh, let's go to the questions. Oh, now, oh man, Twitter's all kinds of, all right, here we go. Got it. Uh, so Dave put this out on his Twitter. Um, we got quite a few actually. So thanks everybody. Um, two here from JD Faz one, two, one, three. Um, so let's start with the first one. How would you, and I'm paraphrasing here, but because the real question, the question says, what would you do with Igor in the next 10 games split? So I think he means, how would you divvy up the starts over the next 10 games? So, so Dave, I know you're going to ask this question and I pulled up the schedule. I'm, lo- I just, I'm looking for it now. <laughs> right. How many back-to-backs are there? I'll tell you right now. They have... Oh, God. What the hell? Who made this fucking schedule? They have two back-to-backs. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven... No, ten games, not ten yeah, I'm days. They have um, three back-to-backs. Well, what are, well, so, wait. I, oh, yeah, you're right. Shit, I missed that one. I'm sorry. You're right. They have three back-to-backs in the next ten games. You're right. So, um, fr- this coming Friday against the Ducks, followed by a Saturday against the Bruins. Uh, then they play the Leafs again in Toronto. Then they have a back-to-back home games right before Christmas against Edmonton and Buffalo. Then you have your three-day Christmas break. Uh, they play the Capitals, the Panthers, and then, oh, they play the Capitals, I'm sorry. Then they go to Florida for a pre-New Year's back-to-back with the Panthers and Lightning. And then they play the Canes at home and the Blackhawks at home on January 2nd and 4th. Those are your next 10 games. So, Dave, are you giving, here's the, here's my, here's how I'll, I'll pose it. Are you, are you giving Jonathan Quick more than three starts? Because right now it would seem that he would start three of the 10 games uh, in one leg of the back-to-back. So I'll go one further than that. I would start Igor against Anaheim just to get him back in the net. Yep. I have no problem starting Quick against Boston. No, he beat Boston earlier this year, so that's fine. I would throw uh, Shesty back out there against Toronto again mm-hmm. as a revenge game. Um those are the only three that I think are really critical in terms of 
who plays. After that, um, it doesn't. You're going up against two high-powered offenses in Edmonton and Buffalo. Quick gets one of those games. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter who starts against Washington. Uh, wait, who started in the four-one debacle? Chesterkin did. Yes, he did. I would start Chesterkin there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in that case, Quick gets Florida. Chesterkin gets Tampa, which I'm fine with. So mm-hmm. that's three for Quick. Um, Carolina doesn't matter. Chicago doesn't matter. I well, so I, I would stars, say three to four stars for Quick. Yeah, and I would say this by the way. I think you definitely start Igor against Carolina because he owns he owns them. He actually plays really well against them. I think he gets up for those games. I think the Carolina game this season that the Rangers beat them was his best game of the year. Um, I don't know that statistically, but I think he just the way he was dialed into that game. Um, I actually think you could entertain starting quick against the Blackhawks because you know one conference opponent he beat them in. Uh, the playoffs a bunch of times, you know, not not that it's the same team, right? I mean, that, a lot of those series were years and years ago, but, you know, maybe you, you have him play against uh, the Blackhawks since he's got some familiarity with that sweater. Um, so, yeah, but I agree. I think it's three to four starts max, but, you know, Igor's still, um, Igor is still, uh, you know, he's still the number one. And I think the, especially with their cushion in the standings, you let him work through his issues by playing games. Yep. Um, and that's a critical piece there. The Rangers have a cushion. Yeah, it would be nice to win the division, win the President's Trophy, but that's not important. What's important no. is winning a Stanley Cup and getting Igor, getting his confidence back, letting him play through it. If it sacrifices a President's Trophy, oh no, whatever shall we do? Like, get him ready for the playoffs, get him back to what he's used to, what we're used to seeing. Absolutely. All right. Second question from that same uh, that same uh, listener, fan of the show. Trade deadline moves, question mark. After Othman is brought up before the trade deadline, so he's assuming Brennan Othman comes up, which is already a huge assumption. What is the bigger need? Fourth line center, Nico Sturm is someone he, met, he uh, suggests, or a third pair defenseman? You know, I they don't need a third pair defenseman. Period. I don't think so at all. Um, Brandon Cohen asked about Braden Schneider and asked if he was good. And I thought it was an interesting question because we never really talked about how jerked around Braden Schneider got in his first two years. Who did he play with? Ben Harper. Ben Harper. Ben Harper. And the year before, uh, the year before they got, um, no, Nico Mikola was last year. Right? He played with Justin Braun, and Braun was playing on the left side, and he hadn't played the left side in like 10 seasons. Yeah, I mean, I, f- I feel bad for Braden Schneider. He was been given a raw deal, and finally he has Eric Gustafson, and he's finally looking good. They don't need a third-pair defenseman. I don't know much about Nico Sturm, I have to be honest. Um, I don't think they need a fourth-line center, but it can't hurt to go and put even more distance between Tyler Pitlick, Jake LeCision, Johnny Brzezinski, all these guys, Riley Nash, and the lineup. You know, another body that is viable, that can be a matchup center, that can fill in on the wing should somebody take a puck to the mouth and spit out a part of their jaw that's not their teeth. <laughs> you know, things like that. Another body isn't going to hurt them. I'm fine with that. It's going to be low cost. I don't think they bring up running off them. No. Um... I'll, so they need I'll, a scoring right winger, and I like Jordan Everly, by the way. 
Sorry. Yeah. Well, that would be nice. Um, and he fits the he fits what they need to a T. Exactly um, what they need. I'll say, I I think you see contenders do this, even if, and I love the Rangers six, even seven defensemen, even though I think that's a rough role for Jones because he's so young and because he is more offensively inclined. Um, he tends to struggle when he's called upon on short notice, like he was against Toronto with Keandre Miller missing the game for personal reasons. And he may miss more games, by the way, there has been no update on him. So that's something that bears watching as well. Hopefully everything's okay. This is nothing serious for him or his family or whatever it might be. Um, if Jones does play multiple games, he tends to settle in, but usually his first game is a fucking disaster. And and that was the case <laughs> against Toronto. He's just not experienced enough to step in cold, right? That is that is a, a specific st- skill set, honestly. Yeah, so it is. I don't I don't hate the idea, and you do see contenders do this all the time. I don't hate the idea of bringing in an experienced seventh defenseman. And as much as that kind of is a raw deal for Jones, because he just has not had a, ch- a real chance to break into this lineup. Um, I think if you're really trying to win a Stanley Cup, you can't worry about Zach Jones's feelings. Um, the other thing is, yeah, I mean, they need they, the middle of the lineup needs help. I think when, from a trade perspective, I think when you look at their fourth line when they're healthy, I think it's a great fourth line. Benino, Goodrow, Vizi, you've got the ability to win faceoffs. Benino is uh, probably the most courageous shot blocker in the league. We know a Goodrow can be an effective defensive winger. He has done a very good job shutting down some really high-powered opponents. You know, I think through two periods in the Toronto game, Austin Matthews was going mainly against that Goodrow line. He had one shot attempt. It was his goal, of course, um, off the rush, though. And then they they totally shut down the Kopitar line in the L.A. game. So Goodrow knows what he's doing. I know people hate him. I know people don't like the contract, but he's a good defensive forward. He's a pro. He's a penalty killer. And VZ's been a revelation. VZ's maybe the best third or fourth liner, depending where he plays in the league, as far as I'm concerned. You know, not to sound like an Islanders fan, you know, waxing poetic about their fourth line. But um, I, I love the fourth line, line. Hockey. Yes, fourth line in hockey. Oh, most overpaid nice. fourth line in hockey. Um, yeah. You know, so so I think their fourth line is fine. I, I don't think you need to go fourth line. I think you got to add to the middle of the lineup and bring in some versatility, right? Someone who can maybe play both center and wing. So, uh so we'll see how that shakes out. And, and again, so much of it depends on whether Filipino is coming back or not. Um, yep. All right. Next uh, question. This is from at Azrak Marvin, but he goes by, I love this, the Marv zone on Twitter. That's uh, good yeah. How concerned are you about the Rangers defense against the rush? And what do you think needs to be done to fix this glaring issue? So I covered this in one of my Patreon posts and I am only concerned about the defense against the rush if Heedle and Kako are out for the rest of the season. It is we, we go to the middle of the lineup depth and things like that. We've spoken about that. What sets those two apart from everybody else is where they play in the 212 four check, which is the primary four check the Rangers use. I know the mm-hmm. 131 got a lot of publicity in the first week or two of the season. That's what the Rangers use with a lead. It's a neutral zone yes. trap. They had leads. I was going to say they haven't had as many leads lately. They had, they had leads in early in the season. They were, yep. yeah, they were jumping on teams and then protecting leads beautifully, by the way. So without the one, three, one, they play a two, one, two, which is an aggressive four check. Usually F one and F two are your first two. They're in deep and F three is 
usually the center. That's Filipino. His job is read and react and either back up or attack and force a turnover. He was very good at that. Kapokako is very good along the boards as that F1, F2 mm-hmm. to cause that turnover that yeah, they win need. A puck battle, right. And when Kako is there with Zabanajad and Kreider, well, with Kreider as the other forward in deep and Zabanajad reading and roaming, that's deadly. Mm-hmm. And then when Hedl is there, be it with, I think Troch, uh, it would be Panarin or let, let's just stick with his old line, Panarin and Laugh. So Panarin and Laugh are in putting pressure on and Hedl reads and reacts. And then all he has to do is disrupt, which he does. And then you have Artemi fucking Panarin out there. Yeah. Picking up loose change and getting quick, quick uh, chances off turnovers. Yeah. And that's why Vincent Trocek has slid in so well there. But mm-hmm. now you don't have Vincent Trocek on the third line. Right. And that's, the, that's and the issue. Yeah. You have you have Benito basically as that center playing the F3 role. And it's while you still have Cooley in there wreaking havoc, you don't have somebody who is lighter on their feet. Right. And a little bit more offensively inclined to jump on that puck and force that turnover. Instead, they're all backing up. Now there's no forecheck. Now there's all new speed through the neutral zone, which is everything that we hated last year about the Gallant Rangers. So that's a lot of words to say. I'm not worried about rush chances against when the Rangers get healthy or when they address these issues. If they go into the playoffs with this roster, then yes, I'm worried. Right. I also think that, look, and, and Laviolette's spoken about this, you're just not going to be right you know, for across all facets of your game for an entire 82-game season. You know, you're going to go through the cyclical nature of, of any long season, which is, hey, our offense is humming. We're scoring five goals a game, right? And we're shooting 20%, right? Like, we know it's not sustainable, but it just happens to be happening now. It's a streak. Then you go on a streak where you're you know, your, your defense struggles and you're leaking goals. And that's partially goaltending. It's partially defending, whatever it might be. You know, the Ranger power play might be immune to this because it's so good, but often your power play will go through a slump. Your penalty kill will go through a slump right now. They are just having a little bit of a problem, uh, getting into and sticking to their structure. I, you know, what a lot of what I saw, by the way, in the Toronto game, and this is particularly from the defensemen who have been largely very good all year. Um, they were just a lack of familiarity and comfort, right? Gustafson and Truba did not look like a pair that had played together at all because they hadn't. Schneider and Jones looked very jumpy. Obviously, we just spoke about Jones's, you know, uh, lack of experience with this sort of role where he's got to jump in cold on short notice. And he has trouble with that. Fox and Lindgren actually had a good game. And it, it, I wonder why, because they've played together every year for the last eight years, going back to when they were teenagers. So, you know, I think there was just a little bit of lack of comfort among the team right now. And, and it extends to the forwards because of all the injuries and the guys in and out of the lineup, right? I mean, Goodrow was out for a couple of games. Riley Nash stepped in. Kako went out in the Buffalo game. Heedle's been out, you know, and this is also, I think, a big part of the reason why Laviolette hasn't jumbled the lines because there is still so much of a learning curve with the with the systems and with the different forecasts and how they uh, approach uh, game situations. So, um I think it's a blip. I think it's something that we, they will get under control. Now, look, they do have 
a high powered offense, like, and to your point, Dave, they have three of their four centers when healthy are going to be aggressive or who, you know, the, the, the main F3. Right. And I think Laviolette's going to want them to be aggressive. Um, so, you know, maybe they're not ever going to be first or second in, in rush chances against, but they might be 10th or 12th. And I think they're okay with that given their goaltending and their ability to score goals in, you know, of their own off the rush as well as on the power play. So they're probably, uh, not going to be elite in that category. And I know Steve Valaket thinks that's a huge red flag because there is a recent trend of cup winners who are all, we're all top five against the rush. You know, I think that's just how it's been the last few years. You know, I think the hope is that the Rangers can buck that trend a little bit. So, uh, so we'll see. No team has to be perfect, but they have to be able to fill in their weaknesses with their strengths. And if rush chances against turn into a weakness, then they have to be able to weather that storm. If it's Igor masking those issues, if it's them just getting more sustained offensive zone time and limiting the number of chances because they're in the offensive zone the whole time, mm-hmm. whatever works. Absolutely. All right. Next one is from Kevin at Spozo to 11 repeat question from last year, rank these players in importance uh, to the Rangers according to, sorry, let me try that again. Rank <laughs> these players in terms of their importance to the Rangers future, Kako, Heedle, Miller and Lafreniere. So, one through four, let's say most important to least important. Most important to least important. Oh boy. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. I'll try. Let me just go first, Dave. Well, yeah, you, you go first. I am I'm struggling with this one. Yeah, and I'm just gonna go off the top of my head really quick here. I think it's Heedle because A, he's a center, and B if he is really injured and I mean like Michael Sauer injured, then that's that, that has a huge implications on this team's future. So that he's number one, I think just by virtue of that situation. Um, I'm going to say Miller is second, but third very closely is Lafreniere because of his breakout. And he's proven to be trending towards what we hoped he would be as number one overall pick. Although his scoring is drying up a little bit. Hopefully it's just a, the natural downswing of a season and he'll be pouring the goals in again soon. Um, and then I'd say Kako just because, you know, he is a, uh, he's a really strong two-way player, but he's also, um, he's also, you know, a, uh, he's not going to probably ever be the, the big time scorer that we hoped he would be. So I am mostly with you. Heedle is definitely one center depth down the middle wins always has always will. I believe Laugh is number two on this list because the Rangers need scoring from the right wing, and he's the only one that does it right now. Mm-hmm. And he does it at even strength. He's not getting power play time. That's critical. They need that. That puts Miller at number three, and the only reason why I'm putting him there is because currently, and I think this season is one of the most important seasons that we've had, honestly, since 2013, 2014, or 14-15. Because Miller's important, but Gustafson can play up with Truba. Mm -hmm. Or Gustafson can play up with Fox, and Linger can play with Truba. Gustafson can play in the top four. And you figure out what to do with Miller later. And then Kako, like you said, you know, he is a great hockey player, 
he is just replaceable with what he's doing yes. right now. And I know Connell has a lot of concerns with his read and react times, which is also why he's not F3 on the forecheck. He's one of the guys along the boards. Right. Okay. Um, no, that's a really interesting question. So thanks for that one. Uh, I like that one, question. Bring that every year. Yeah, definitely. I like that. Uh, next one. Can we get proof of life from at BHABS37? That comes from our friend at Bill to Spill, John Cougar, Colleen Camp. Becky is alive and well, I promise. Um, but definitely, uh, you know, in the throes of work and some other stuff. So we'll get her back on the show really soon. All right, let's let's speed through these uh, last two. Um, uh, this one's from our Blue Steep Blogs colleague, Tyler McGillick, at Tyler Richard 93 What is your honest assessment of Blake Wheeler? Personally, I don't mind him being a placeholder at this time for making $800,000. I think the hate uh, he gets is a little wild. Uh, what are your thoughts on Wheeler, Dave? I, I mentioned this earlier that we were going to get to expand on, on the Blake A thousand percent agree. A thousand percent agree. I don't understand why everyone like just picked Blake Wheeler as a scapegoat. He is 37 is years old. He is making league minimum. He is driving play, surprisingly. He was never meant to be a top-line forward for this team, yet he's stepping up, and believe it or not, that Kreider and Zibanejad are producing more offensively with Wheeler. Granted, their defense has taken a complete downturn because Wheeler can't skate to save his life. But Wheeler is doing exactly what you paid him to do. I don't understand what the fuck people are smoking. And I'm dropping way too many F-bombs on this, but whatever. Uh, uh, why did he become the scapegoat of all things? I liked it better when everyone just scapegoat to Barkley Goodrow because at least we could all find one thing that we're like, okay, he makes too much money or the contract's too long. You know, we can all find that one thing to make him the scapegoat. No offense to Barkley Goodrow, whom I like. I just hate the contract. Wheeler is on a one-year league minimum salary, and he's he's one of the top scorers on the team right now, isn't he? No, no. Well, no. I mean, no. he's got four goals. He, he scored two goals against Toronto, and that doubled his output. He has four goals on the year. He's, I, I, I don't have stats in front of me, but no. Look, I, I think everyone would like to see a few more points, but uh, to me, the, the key here is remember where he's supposed to be in this lineup. And, and we were talking about this earlier, right? When they are healthy, he's the third line right wing with it was Vincent Trocheck or Filipino, right? And Will Cooley, right? So, and that was kind of a really a well-balanced third line with the experience down the middle, especially when it was Trocek, the energetic physical kid on the left wing, Cooley and the heady veteran who could set up chances for those two guys in Wheeler. And by the way, again, and I keep saying this and, and go back and watch the highlights. If you want to, if you I'm sure you could find the full game or the condensed game, those first 10 or 12 games, I know he didn't score, but Wheeler was setting up, multiple chances for his line mates every game you know he had they, assists left on the table easily yeah. and yet he's still seventh in forwards on this team in scoring so he's exactly where he should be right exactly right because what does he have probably eight or nine points now or ten points eight, um, eight points yeah. the only surprise ahead of him right now is jimmy Vesey. right right so right he's the seventh highest scoring forward which makes perfect sense um I, I, for some reason, this fan base just has to have a scapegoat. He was the one quote unquote name they brought in. So he had some expectations attached to him and he's getting like the Wade Redden treatment, which is very unfair because like Wade Redden had a horrible contract and did not live up to it. And, you know, if you're of a certain age, you know, the Wade Redden story, but there does seem to be, and it used to always be an offensive defenseman, right? Pody, 
Redden, Merrick Malik, right? There, all those guys kind of got the ire of the Garden crowd and the Ranger fan base. Wheeler is getting it this year. Um, I was glad to see him score a couple of goals in the Toronto game at home so people could, like, you know, get off his back a little bit. But, um, yeah, look, it's not pretty. His game is not pretty. And, you know, in terms of his skating and just he's a kind of a hulking presence out there. But um, I also think you got to remember this is a guy that played over 10 years. And, you know, he started in Boston, but he was in Winnipeg for over a decade. And he's getting used to a new environment, a new a new place. Uh, that is not easy. We've seen multiple Rangers struggle with that. Vincent Trocek and Vincent Truba, just in a couple who are fan favorites, you know, talk about Truba doing a huge 180, by the way. He's and he's playing awesome oh, yeah. this year. So it's deserved. He's healthy. He's, yeah, he's healthy. healthy and, the, and the fans love him, though. I mean, there's a lot of fans who, even when he was playing okay a couple of seasons ago, were like really unreasonably. I, well, again, his contract, same thing. He's paid too much money, fine. But, um, you know, they were highly critical of Truba when I thought he was pretty good at times he's been very good this year uh and trocek has taken it to another another level i mean this is the other thing that i think people need to remember right when when you're talking about kako's point totals or wheeler's point totals you know look as much as i'd love to see this team score six goals a game and for them to have you know seven sixty and above point scorers like the rangers don't need a ton of scoring from their middle six guys or their bottom six they just need enough right so like it, we're not, we don't need Blake Wheeler to put up 65, 70 points. We need him to put up 40 points. Um, and he's on his way to doing that. So um, I think people should lay off Wheeler. And I, and I think, again, like Tyler said, he's, he's kind of a placeholder, right? He's here for a year. He's, he's doing a little bit of ring chasing. He thought this team had a chance at winning a cup. So he, he chose the Rangers and probably took less money to come here. So I, I'm willing to give him, you know, a little bit more time to, to gel and to get comfortable. Uh, and I think we we have not seen uh, the last of the meaningful contributions from him either. Uh, all right, last question, not hockey related, but it does from come from Coach Connell, uh, who is going to be on the pod soon. I've been talking to him about schedules, and we'd love to get him on to dive, dive in a little bit of the nuance of the system stuff and his honest assessments of of of, of the Rangers through a coach's lens. Always would be really interesting. Um, what is your Mount Rushmore of Christmas movies? So, Dave, I'll let you go first. That's four Christmas movies. You can't have five. It's it's not three. It's not five. It's four. All right. So the first three for me are incredibly easy. Home Alone 1. This is in no particular order. Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, and Muppets Christmas Carol. Love it. Those are the third. So the fourth. Oh, and by the way, if anybody answers die hard to this question, I'm going to reach through the computer screen and slap you. Even Bruce Willis himself said Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. So shut up with that bullshit. Especially for a Mount Rushmore. Like, I understand if you're having kind of like a fun tongue-in-cheek discussion or making a list, fine. Like, yeah, there's Christmas trees and lights in the background, the whole movie, whatever. It's a Christmas party. But agree, that's an action movie. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. So number four, I am going to go old school and the only reason why i'm putting this on here is because it is it was family tradition it has been family tradition here since i was like five or six years old and it's a christmas story yep i understand i'm not not a fan but i get it it's not the best movie it is it has some wildly racist moments holy shit there are some racist moments in there um (laughs) but it is just a classic family tradition for me yeah so those are the four 
and don't ask me to put them in order because I can't. Oh, no, that's a Mount Rushmore. It's not in order. All right. I'll go through mine quickly. Um, Christmas Vacation. That's just, yes. That's, that's, yes, that's, that's right, right, right up there for me. Uh, I'll say Home Alone, the first one as well. Um, I will say... See, I like I like the old, and I don't know which one it is, but I do. There's an old version of a Christmas Carol which I love. It was made in probably like I don't know the 60s or 70s. It's like it's an older film, but it was we that was like similar to you, Dave. Like family tradition, we watched it. Like my dad like loved sitting us down on like the 23rd of December and watching that. Um, And then I'm gonna go. So this is kind of a new one, uh, and it's one that Becky and I watch every every Christmas season. Love actually is fantastic. It's just a, it's a really funny movie. It's, it's, it's of course a Christmas movie. It's all set all around Christmas. Um, and, uh, there are some, I, I don't know if they're racist moments, but there are definitely some off color jokes in that, in that movie as well. Um, well, yeah, you know, uh, nothing too, uh, crazy. I think it was made in 2006, but, um, probably some stuff you wouldn't do if you were making it today, but no, it's a, it's a funny movie. Uh, kind of gives you the warm and fuzzy. So I'm going to say Love Actually is on my on my Mount Rushmore. So I got a follow up question for you. Why Home Alone one and not Home Alone two? I just am a sucker for the originals, and I like Home Alone two, but um, I I like the original. I like the originals. Um, All right, fair. And that, that's yeah, that's just such a a classic. No, you said specifically Home Alone one as well, so I'm sure you have a reason why. Well, no, I said both of them. I love both of them. Oh, you did do both. That's fine. If, if those are the type, those movies, if they're on TV, doesn't matter what time of the year, I stop and I watch. It's like Forrest Gump to me. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, great question, Connell. It is the Christmas season. Uh, we got 12, 11 days till Christmas when you're watching, listening to this pod. So um, oh, hope everyone's hope everyone's got their shopping done. Hope you're enjoying some family time, winding down the work and all that, getting ready for some uh, for some holiday goodness. All right. Um, as always, Dave, it's been a pleasure. Any parting shots before we uh, before we sign off here? Again, Die Hard is not a Christmas <laughs> movie. Okay? Yes. I don't want to hear anybody else saying this shit. It's over. It's not a Christmas movie. Move past it. That's it. All right, and I'll make a similarly declarative statement. Blake Wheeler is not a terrible hockey player. So no, he's let's, not. He's let's not go easy on Blake Wheeler for a few weeks and see if he rewards our patience. Um, also, considering he's like the only one close in age to the two of us, I have a soft spot for him. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, I know. He's like very distinctly our generation. It's true. Um, but no, I, look, I, I think I think the hate, as, as Tyler said in his question, the hate he gets is a little bit wild. Um, all right, uh, Dave, it's been a pleasure. Uh, you didn't hear from JL, but he's producing the show and he's going to, you know, do all the uh, all the good stuff that makes it available for you to listen to uh, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. Follow the show on Twitter at Blue Seats Live and we'll talk to you next week.